We have been asking the question throughout this series of how do I stay faithful? How do I stay faithful? If you are joining us, quick recap, God's people continued to sin against him and God had promised judgment. They are exiled into Babylon for 70 years where they are living in a culture that doesn't have their God, their beliefs, their values, their practices, and they're having to figure out what does it mean to be faithful as exiles. And the New Testament uses the same metaphor of being an exile to apply to Christians' situation because this world is not our ultimate home and the beliefs and values and practices are not uh, what we would value and believe and we do, do not share the same God. And so we have to figure out what does it mean for us to be faithful. This is a question that we have been exploring and the book is written to give guidance to that. It's written to give strength to God's people that are trying to figure that out and to give wisdom and to give endurance and to help us. And the trials that we face in exile are hard. The trials that we face are hard. Living in a world that's not our home where there's pressures and temptations and, and just the brokenness of the world, it is hard. We face difficult trials all the time. And we want those trials to strengthen us. Right? A lot of times we say things like, uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Or I always love kind of the, I don't know who originally came up with it, but sort of the military, marines, seals, that pain is weakness leaving the body. I love that. And, and maybe the Navy SEALs are kind of the ultimate example of that. They put them through hell, believing not that this will make them worse, but that it makes them stronger. Or sometimes in your life, you have experienced suffering. And you have experienced things that have been very difficult and you believe that you came out on the other side of it stronger than you were before. That's what we want, right? We want to go through exile. We want to go through Babylon, face the trials, face the difficulties, and actually come out stronger. That is what we desire for our life to, to look like. None of us are naive that everything's going to be easy, but we hope that the trials that we face and the struggles that we face actually create in us a deeper faith, a stronger faith. That's not always the way it is, though. Sometimes it's not true that, that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Sometimes what doesn't kill you makes you weaker and just hurts you. People experience trauma in their life that leaves its scars on them forever. Sometimes you have relational difficulty that leaves you with bitterness and woundedness forever and makes relationships very difficult. Sometimes we, we saw this kind of in mass with the, at the height of the pandemic and churches went through all sorts of stuff and the statistics nationally were that about a third of people just left the church, just totally walked away. And then the other third were online, whatever that means. Uh, means they're doing the dishes and sleeping while church is playing on Facebook or something. And think about how there's a global trial that took place and the, the process for that wasn't necessarily that it made people stronger, but it actually made some people's faith weaker. It actually made some people walk away. And so sometimes trials make us stronger. Other times they make us weaker. And so we have to know, how do I use the trials in my life? How do I use exile and Babylon as one big trial? How do I use that in my life to actually have a stronger, deeper, more authentic faith, a more resilient faith? That the way the Bible talks about it in, in the book of First Peter is that we are more refined through our trials, like gold, as gold is purified, that we are refined and it's a more beautiful and precious faith. That's what we 
That's what we want. How do we use our trials to be like that? Because we will face them, and they are difficult. And sometimes we wonder, can I keep going? Can I keep enduring? Can I keep persevering? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever felt, can I keep going in my marriage? Can I keep going in serving people and being in community? Can I keep going in my faith? Can I keep going? Those are questions that we ask ourselves when the pressures of the trials that we face come to a breaking point. And sometimes they leave us weaker, but we want them to lead us to a deeper, more refined, stronger faith where we're not just tired, discouraged, but we are continually made into the people that God is calling us to be. So how can we persevere, not just through a difficulty, but through a life of difficulty, like Daniel, like Daniel's friends, like the book is teaching God's people? How do we persevere to the end and actually become more faithful through the trials that we face? Maybe you're facing something right now where you need to think about this. Maybe you are facing trials relationally, financially, vocationally, all sorts of other things. Maybe you are facing trials right now and you have to figure out, how do I persevere? Maybe it's just season after season. You know, life is hard. I want to keep persevering. How do we persevere throughout our whole life? We're going to look at three key truths that we need and then three truths that match those truths. And I know that doesn't make sense to you yet, but it will. But we're going to look at three key truths that we need to persevere, and then three partner truths. So I guess it's kind of six truths, but we need these truths, okay? So here's the first one. There will always be challenges. There will always be challenges. There will always be challenges. Let me read the first section of this to you. It says, in the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. That's his Babylonian name. The message was true and was about a great conflict. He understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. I didn't eat any rich food, no meat or wine entered my mouth, and I didn't put any oil on until the three weeks were over. Now, here's what happened. He's mourning for three weeks. Why? After everything that's been going on, it's been, it's been a long time now, decades, 70 years that they're in Babylon. After everything that has happened, the people are returned. They're able to return to Israel. God moves in the heart of the king and says, all right, your people can go. Some of them stay. Daniel stays probably just because he's an old man now and it's hard to travel 700 miles back to Jerusalem, Uh, maybe just because he had a really important job and needed to continue. We're not exactly sure why he stays. But God's people, after everything that has happened, they're able to return home. They're able to rebuild the temple. They're able to do all this stuff. It's amazing. It's even financed in part by the government. It's it's amazing. And we would think, all right, They finally have made it. Everything is fine now. But it's not. Instead, they get home, they start rebuilding, and the people that are living there now oppose them and are against them. 
and they try to stop them. And they give themselves to building a temple for just a little bit and then stop. And this is what I've shared with you multiple times, that you never get over the hump. We think, and oftentimes we believe, that, all right, I just got to push through this. Uh, maybe as soon as the kids start sleeping, maybe as soon as I get another job, as soon as we can buy this house, as soon as uh, I can get married, as soon as this project is over, as soon as I can retire, as soon as I can move, as soon as then, okay, life will be finally okay. And that never happens. Life is a series of over and over again, different obstacles that we have to overcome. Life, sometimes people say life is a marathon. Life is not a marathon. Life is a series of marathons that you thought you finished and you went, oh, finally, my water bottle and I can rest. I've never run a marathon. And finally, okay, and here we go. And go, nope, all right, we have a little break and boom, the gun goes and you're off, you know, off to the races again. I think that's how they do marathons, right? And you go, you run. That's life. Life is a series of one marathon after the other. Think about for Daniel, he has been faithful. He has, he has prayed. He has seen God show up. The people return and it could feel like, all right, job done, but it's not done. Instead, he is now mourning for three weeks, fasting, praying, God, would you give, I don't, we don't know exactly what his prayers are, but God, would you help your people rebuild the temple, give them courage, give them strength? He's once again in a place where he is crying out to God, where once again, even though the people aren't in exile, they're experiencing the fallenness of the world and their own temptations and their own desires and the challenges that are around them. It doesn't just get easy. This is the, the truth that we need is that there will always be challenges. There will always be challenges. Do not believe the lie that as soon as you get over whatever that thing is for you, it will be okay. There will always be challenges. Here's what happens next. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there was a man dressed. So he begins to have this vision of possibly an angel or Maybe some people say it's just a vision of God himself, but we don't, it doesn't say it's just he has this vision. I looked up, there was a man dressed in linen with a belt of gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the brilliance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. You can copy and paste that for your dating profile if you're single. Only I, Daniel, saw the vision. The men who were with me did not see it, but a great tear fell on them and they ran and hid. I was left alone, looking at this great vision. No strength was left in me. My face grew deathly pale and I was powerless. I heard the words he said. And when I heard them, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. So he sees this amazing vision of this strong, powerful, mighty person. And it just kind of, it fills him with awe and fear. He falls to the ground. He's weak. He's already weak from mourning and fasting for three weeks. Now he sees kind of this crazy vision. He's going to see another crazy vision that they're going to show him. And he, it, it, it terrifies him. Suddenly, a hand touched me and set me shaking on my hands and knees. He said to me, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Understand the words that I am saying to you. Stand on your feet, for I have now been sent to you. 
after he said this to me, I stood trembling. Don't be afraid, Daniel, he said to me. For from the first day that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your prayers were heard. So he is being touched. He's being strengthened by this angel that is near him saying, it's okay. Don't be afraid. He receives kind of supernatural strengthening as he is touched. The angel will do this a few different times. I've come because of your prayers. But the, now this is weird. Okay. This is going to talk about demons and angels and all sorts of stuff. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. That is a name for a demon that is obviously in some ways responsible for the kingdom of Persia. It's not a human because it's talking about opposing this angel. But the prince of the kingdom of, per of Persia opposed me for 21 days. So there's this kind of spiritual battle that's happening. He's coming to answer the prayers, but he then gets held up for three weeks by this spiritual battle. Then Michael, another angel, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I had been left there with the king of per kings of Persia. Now I have come to help you understand what will happen to your people in the last days, for the vision refers to those days. While he was saying these words to me, I turned my face towards the ground and was speechless. So again, the angel kind of tells him, I've heard your prayers, I came, there was this big spiritual battle. Then Michael came to help me in this spiritual battle, and Daniel Again, as we've kind of looked at throughout all this, is just like, uh, let me put my head in the ground and I don't know what to say. <clears throat> He's not like, yeah, of course, yeah, that makes sense. This three-week spiritual battle, yeah. Suddenly, one with human likeness touched my lips. I opened my mouth and said to the one standing in front of me, my Lord, because of the vision, anguish overwhelms me and I am powerless. How can someone like me, your servant, speak with someone like you, my Lord? Now I have no strength and there's no breath in me. Then the one with the human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. He said, don't be afraid, you who are treasured by God. Peace to you. Be very strong. As he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. He said, do you know why I've come to you? I must return at once to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I leave, the prince of Greece will come. However, I will tell you what is recorded in the book of truth. No one has the courage to support me against those princes, except Michael, your prince. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to strengthen and protect him. So he helped Michael. Now Michael's coming to help him. Now I will tell you the truth. Okay, so all of this is kind of just before he actually gets into what the actual vision is. And again, it tells us there will always be challenges. There will always be challenges. Whether that's spiritual warfare challenges, angels and demons, battling it out behind the scenes that we don't see, or it is the challenges of, okay, finally everything's okay, but then they go back home, they're not in exile anymore, and challenges again. If you were here at the beginning of the year, we read through the book of Haggai, which is God calling the people to rebuild the temple because it has sat dormant for 16 years. They've been there, they had a big party, and they were like, all right, we put down a couple stones and then didn't do anything for 16 years. So there's always challenges. What is Daniel doing during these challenges? What is Daniel doing as he experiences the spiritual warfare challenges, the challenges of his people not following God, even though they are back in Jerusalem? What is he doing? Does he feel like, I'm an old man. I'm in my 80s, maybe my 90s. I've kind of done my part. I've been faithful through multiple empires and kings. I've, I've stuck it out. I've done what I'm supposed to do. I've seen the end of the prophecy now after 70 years. I'm good. It's not what he does. Instead, he's still emotionally invested. 
he still is emotionally connected to everything that's going on such that it moves his heart, such that it moves him to the place of, yes, I'm an old man, but I am on my knees, on my face, praying for three weeks, fasting. He hasn't tapped out. So there will always be challenges, so you are always called. There's always going to be challenges, so you are always called to the end of your life. There is always going to be challenges. Every season that we face, there will be challenges. There will be new difficulties upon your faith, upon your family, upon your friendships. There will be new challenges that you face. You never just get over the hump and life is easy. There will all, I talk to people that are teenagers and I talk to people that are senior citizens, right? I talk to people drinking Capri Sun and people that get discounts at Denny's. I talk to the whole gamut and there will always be challenges. So you are always called. That's what Daniel's doing. He is still invested. It says that for three weeks, he didn't put oil on his body. Imagine that. Have you had a week so hard that you said, no oil for me. I'm not doing it. That's where he is. He is so emotionally invested. I told you a while ago, we were watching through all the Rocky movies, and there's 17,000, I think, and we finally you know, watched them all. But one of them is Rocky as an old man that gets back in the ring and says, let's go another round. Now, Sylvester Stallone as an old man is you know, better than you and I combined as young men and women, but it, still, he's an old guy and he's not done with the fight. And that reminds me of Daniel, that he's saying, I'm not done yet. I'm still connected. I, as long as I breathe, there will be challenges. So as long as I breathe, I'm called. As long as you breathe, you are called to participate in what God has in front of you. You are important. You matter to God's mission, to God's world. Even if, I don't, you know, Daniel is old, so I don't, maybe the only thing he can do anymore is pray. But that still is a lot. And you might not see everything that you're doing. Daniel's prayers are a part of a spiritual battle. I know the whole angels, three weeks, the prince of Persia, prince of Greece. It's kind of crazy stuff. But what it means is that your prayers are a part of a spiritual battle that a lot of times is unseen. But if, if this is true, and it's God's word, we believe it's true. If this is true, your prayers deeply matter. You are called by God to be engaged you can't do everything that there is in the world, but you can be a part of the things that God has put in front of you, where you are, with the people that you are near and involved and connected to. There will always be challenges. So you are always called. You are always called. And it's not just that he is trying to, to play. It's not just that he's kind of this old man and he's trying to play and God's like, uh, you're kind of past your prime now. God still wants him. God's still showing up giving him visions. God's still showing up answering his prayers. God's still showing up saying, you are treasured by me. God is still showing up in his life. And most of you, I don't know if any of you, are in your late 80s, early 90s. But we can still reach certain points where we feel like, maybe God's done with me now. 
Maybe, maybe, maybe God was really involved when I was kind of in college and I was at some ministry or maybe even before I had kids, I had more time or maybe before I had, was married or maybe we, we can kind of think in some ways we've kind of passed God's need of us or desire for us to be a part of what he's doing. And yet it's not true. Again, Daniel shows us there's always going to be challenges, and so you are always called, and it's not just that maybe you want to be a part. God is saying, I want you. I want you invested. And God gives him this vision of this angel or God himself, and it's this big, strong, powerful, glorious character, in part to say, yes, there is always going to be challenges, Life is always going to be hard, but remember who I am. Remember the strength that I have. You might feel weak. You might feel it's beyond you. You might feel after this hump and that hump and this thing of, man, it never ends. You might feel discouraged and tired, and how can I keep going? And that's part of why God opens with a vision saying, remember who I am. Remember, even in your weakness, remember my strength. Remember my power. Remember me. Remember I can touch you and give strength to your weakness. Remember who I am. So there will always be challenges. So you are always called. This is true for Daniel. It's true for us. God wants you to stay engaged. God wants you not to tap out. Season after season, whatever that is, God's vision for you is a life of faithfulness, not a stint, not a season, not a day, not a week, not a couple years, not just here and then maybe eventually here. God's vision for you is a life of faithfulness. This is what we see in Daniel, and it's what God wants to help us remember, that every season he wants you. Every season you are called. And if you want to keep going, if you want to endure with perseverance, then we have to remember that your life matters and God wants you engaged. And we need him, the vision of him and his strength and his power and his glory. We need him to continue to do that. So truth number one and two, there will always be challenges. So you are always called. Then... The next truth that we'll look at is that there will always be chaos. And again, if you've been here throughout this series, we, we, a lot of these are the repeated themes that keep coming up over and over and over again. And once again, here, as he gives him the vision, it is clear there will always be chaos. That is what the future is. I can tell you the future. There will be chaos. That's the future. That's what God continually reveals to Daniel in these visions. And he's going to give him a vision in chapter 11. This is, we, we kind of looked at the context and then we saw the angel said, okay, now I'm going to tell you the truth. Here it is. We'll read it in chapter 11, what the vision is. And it's very detailed. Again, I told you some of the parts of Daniel are so detailed that you could match up with historical references of things that actually took place that critics of the Bible will say that must have been written after those things happened because there's no way that someone could know that. We don't believe that. We believe God's word is true in every word and then it speaks the truth. And because God knows all things, God can show us all things of what will take place. 
And so there's a very detailed vision of all these things that are going to happen, of kings from the north and kings from the south and these battles and these battles and all of these things. And we're not going to read every single part of it. I'm going to give you some of the highlights. There will be no way to kind of read all of this and maintain uh, a less than three-hour sermon. So I'm going to read parts of it, and then we'll focus in towards the end of it. Here's what it says. Three more kings will arise in Persia, and the fourth will be far richer than the others. By the power he gains through his riches, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a warrior king will arise. He's kind of already talked about this stuff in previous visions, that Persia will have these multiple kings, they'll, they'll gain power, and then a warrior king, this is Alexander the Great, will arise. He will rule a vast realm and do whatever he wants. But as soon as he is established, his, he, he overtook everything very quickly, but then died very quickly. As soon as his kingdom is established, his kingdom will be broken up and divided to the four winds of heaven, but not to his descendants. When Alexander the Great's kingdom got destroyed and broken up, it split up into four, overtaken by various generals. It will not be the same kingdom that he ruled because his kingdom will be uprooted and will go to others besides them. So he's giving him all these details. Once again, some of these he's already told him. Then he continues of what will happen next. The king of the south will grow powerful. But one of his commanders will grow more powerful and will rule a kingdom greater than his. I'm going to skip all this part. If you have chapter 11 open and you want to read it, go for it. But again, what you're seeing is this. Kings are going to rise. Kings are going to fall. Kings are going to fight. Kings are going to lose. Kings are going to win. That's the repeated thing that keeps happening over and over again. In the place of the king of the south, one from her family will rise up. So another king will come and another war will happen. His sons will mobilize for war. Bunch of stuff. He will not triumph. So people will gather. People will fight. Battles will happen. People will lose. Then in those times, many will rise up against the king of the south. I'm just kind of highlighting the pattern that keeps happening. Many will rise up. There's a battle. People lose. Many will rise up. There's a battle. People, and there's all of this turmoil, all of this chaos. He will give him a daughter in marriage to destroy it. So he tries to, and this happened. Again, you can, put the, you can look this up in history if you want detailed explanation of all this. But he, one of the kings tried to do kind of an alliance, giving his daughter uh, to sort of like be a secret spy. But then she was like, actually, I really like it here. And it didn't work. But she will not stand with him or support him. But a commander will put an end to his taunting. Then there's another king. In his place, one will arise. Within a few days, he will be broken over and over and over again. You see the cycles. You see the patterns. In his place, a despised person will arise. All sorts of things happen once again. Then the king of the south prepares for battle, but he will not succeed. Then the end will come at the appointed time. Then in verse 29, I'll read this whole thing. So if you're following along, put 29 on there because now I'm going to start reading it again. Then it says, at the appointed time, he will come again to the south. This is about Antiochus Epiphanes IV, who we looked at in chapter 7, chapter 8, who was the one that ended up uh, sacrificing a pig and human sacrifices to Zeus in the temple of Jerusalem, outlawed circumcision, burnt all the copies of the Torah, did whatever he could to oppose God's people. At the appointed time, he will come again to the south, but this time will not be like the first. 
Ships of Kittim will come against him, and being intimidated, he will withdraw. Then he will rage against the Holy Covenant and take action. On his return, he will favor those who abandon the Holy Covenant. His forces will rise up and desecrate the temple fortress. They will abolish the regular sacrifice and set up the abomination of desolation, what I just referred to. With flattery, he's kind of using his manipulative uh, tactics. He will corrupt those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But the people who know their God will be strong and take action, referring to the Maccabees, what Hanukkah eventually is based on. Those who have insight among the people will give understanding to many, yet they will fall by the sword and flame, and they will be captured and plundered for a time. When they fall, they will be helped by some, but many others will join them insincerely. Some of those who have insight will fall so that they may be refined, purified, and cleansed until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. So we already kind of talked about him in previous chapters, and I gave you a quick recap of what he does. Some people call him the Hitler of the Old Testament because what he did was so devastating, so awful, tried to, again, end, really end and wipe out God's people in this time. Now, right after this, it switches to another section. Some people think it's just continuing to talk about Antiochus IV. It's just continuing his story. That's what some people think say probably most people think it then switches. There's kind of this, and then there's a gap of time, and it switches to talk about the future Antichrist that one day will come. It's hard to know. Again, all these different prophecies, all these different things, all these different visions, it's hard to know exactly what's being communicated, and there's different opinions that are out there. So some people believe this stops kind of the, the stuff that's about to happen in the next couple hundred years. There's a gap that's a future prophecy now about the Antichrist. Other people think it's just kind of a continuation of his story. But here's what happens next. Then the king will do whatever he wants. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god. He will say outrageous things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed. Because what has been decreed will be accomplished. He will not show regard for the gods of his ancestors, the god desired by women or for any other god, because he will magnify himself above all. He doesn't even care about the pagan gods that he worships. He is magnifying himself as God. Instead, he will honor a god of fortress, a god his ancestors did not know, with gold, silver, precious stones, and riches. He will deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. He will greatly honor those who acknowledge him, making them rulers over many and distributing land as a reward. At the time of the end, the king of the south will engage him in battle, but the king of the north will storm against him with chariots, horsemen, and many ships. He will invade countries and sweep through them like a flood. He will also invade the beautiful land, and many will fall. But these will escape from his power, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of the Ammonites. He will extend his power against the countries, and not even the land of Egypt will escape. He will get control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver, and over all the riches of Egypt. The Libyans and Cushites will also be in submission. But reports from the east and north will terrify him, and he will go out with great fury to annihilate and completely destroy many. He will pitch his royal tents between the sea and the beautiful holy mountain, but he will meet his end with no one to help him. So again, there will always be chaos. He gives this detailed vision. Why? Why does he give such a detailed vision to Daniel once again? 
Part of what we've seen is that these things are particular things that take place and happen, and they are also patterns. Just like we read a couple weeks ago where Paul and John say that there is an antichrist that is coming, just like there have been many antichrists that have come, that this is the pattern. There are particular events, and this is also the pattern of what always happens. So whether you think that sort of the end part of these prophecies are about the future, our future, or whether it was a particular event that already took place, it is the pattern of what will always happen. It's what the New Testament shows us has happened and continues to happen. That There will always be changes. One king rises, one king falls. One battle happens, one battle lost. One king rises. There will always be changes. That is the only constant, is change. Over and over and over again. One political leader, one empire, it rises and people are happy, then it falls and people are sad, or other people are happy. That is what constantly happens, which means if we tie our joy or our sorrow too much to the rising and falling of political leaders and empires, we really don't understand the pattern of history, that it's always going to be, this person's elected, this person's in charge, this person's gone, oh, this person leaves, oh, that's how it's always going to be, constant change. That's true on the global scale, and it's true just oftentimes even in our lives, that people come and go, and things rise and fall. That is what often happens. There's always changes, and there's always leaders that will come and exalt themselves and, sh- and speak about how amazing they are. They, they will use flattery to get people on their side. They will use words to get people on their side, and yet they will speak against God. That will always happen. They will speak against God. They will blaspheme against God. They'll speak against God's people. There will always be enticing leaders that we are drawn to, and yet at the same time, speak against God and God's people. That will always happen. This is the pattern. Particulars and pattern. It's what always takes place. And there will always be suffering for God's people and in the world. There will always be suffering. Think about some of the things that I pointed out here of the devastation and the destruction and all the different things that they are setting their minds on doing. That will always be the case. There will always be suffering for God's people. It's not just in the Old Testament. Jesus promises to us the same things. And so listen, don't be shocked. I'm not saying you have to like it, but don't be shocked that there is suffering in our world. Don't be shocked that Christians suffer in our world. Thousands of Christians today are dying across the world because of their faith. You may know people in your life, not that have died, but that have suffered because of their faith, that have lost jobs or have not been able to uh, climb as high on the corporate ladder because of their faith or are ostracized in families, in workplaces, in friendships. There will always be suffering for God's people. And so we shouldn't be shocked by it or think that it's our job to just totally avoid it at all costs. I'm not saying that, again, you should like it or run into it, but we should expect it. There will always be suffering because there will always be chaos. 
And listen, some of you need to hear this. That also doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Sometimes when life gets really difficult or life gets really hard or challenging or there is suffering, we can think, what have I, what have I done? Does this mean God has walked away from me? He doesn't care about me anymore. He doesn't love me anymore. He's not present with me anymore. But that comes from an understanding or a belief that life is supposed to just be easy and that's what God has promised us. And if it's not, it means we're really blowing it or doing something wrong. But that's not the case. There will always be chaos. There will always be suffering. The world is chaos. We see it. We feel it. It can be scary sometimes. Sometimes you read the headlines and it can be scary. You can see shootings. You can see financial chaos. You can see wars. We can see sickness. We can look at the climate. We can look at I mean, whatever kind of headlines are out there. And it can just be like, oh, man, it can be chaotic. It can be scary. But, again, why so detailed? Why does God lay it all out to things that Daniel's not even going to see? Because though there always will be chaos, God will always be in control. There will, be all, there will always be chaos and God will always be in control. Both of those things are true. There will always be chaos in the world. You're ne- Listen, you're never going to pull up whatever news feed that you look at and it's just like puppies were born, people were given money, cookies were eaten. That's never going to be the headlines. There's always going to be chaos. And you're never going to live your life and just go, man, this, these last two years, it was so easy. Nothing happened. That's not going to happen. There will always be chaos and God will always be in control. That is just as true. That's why he gives it so detailed. Like if you think about all these details, what does it mean? It means God knows what's going to happen. And that's part of why I highlighted the different things that said at the appointed time, at the decreed time, at the appointed time, because God is guiding the affairs of this world. And we don't understand kind of how human responsibility and God's control work together. Those are mysterious to us. But it shows in that passage that there are all these people making all these choices and God is also directing what's happening. There's appointed times. There's decrees. There will always be chaos and God will always be in control. But to spell out everything that's going to happen might kind of freak us out but it should also give us some, un, some rest or relief. Okay, God knows what he's doing. Imagine if you're going in for surgery and the surgeon sits you down. Normally they don't do this. And the surgeon sits you down and says, okay, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take this knife and jab it into your chest. Then I'm going to work my way up and this, these blades are going to cut all the skin off. Then I'm going to peel you open this lady's going to stick a metal clamp inside you so that it pries you open. Then I'm going to... Let me just show you a video. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Imagine he describes in detail everything that happens. That might freak you out, right? But it'd probably be a lot better than if he said, I have no idea what I'm going to do, but just lay down and take this medicine and hopefully everything goes well. The fact that he could give you a detailed analysis, might, you might be like Daniel, like, I need to put my face in the ground, and I'm freaked out. But 
you might also go, okay, at least you know what you're doing. The fact that you can spell everything out to me from first incision to last stitch is actually comforting. You know exactly what you're going to do. You've got a plan. You know what's going to happen. There's going to be chaos. It might feel painful. It might feel like getting cut and hurt, and it might be bloody and death. It might be awful. But God's always in control. He knows what he's doing. He knows why he is doing what he is doing. So look around. What kind of fears do you have as you look at the world? What kind of things in your life are vexing you or causing you hurt or pain or confusion or anxiety? What, what kinds of things do you tend to worry about or freak out about? What kinds of changes do you see of this and that and this rise and this fall that, that begin to just create turmoil in you? What if you could believe? God's in control. What if, what if God showed you the book of your life and chapter after chapter, event after event was written down and God said, this might kind of freak you out, but I am in control. I do know what I'm doing. And when we're living in the middle of one of the hard parts, it's freaky, it's scary, we don't like it, but God is saying, I know what I'm doing. I am in control and I am for you, which means that we can live through chaos because God is not in chaos. God is in control. He's at work. He's at work in the world. He's at work in your life. God is at work doing things. So that's truth number two. And then the final truth is this. There will always be confusion. There will always be confusion. Let's, let's look at how this ends in chapter 12. <clears throat> at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands watch over your people, will rise up. So after all this chaos, all this stuff, there will be the angel that rises up to procure victory. There will be a time of distress, such as never has occurred since nations came into being until that time. But at that time, all your people who are found written in the book will escape in God's book of life. Many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life and some to disgrace and eternal contempt. Those who have insights will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, keep these words secret and seal the book until the time of the end. Many will roam about and knowledge will increase. Then I, Daniel, looked and two others were standing there one on this bank of the river and one on the other. One of them said to the man dressed in linen, who was above the water of the river, how long until the end of these wondrous things? So again, kind of misunderstanding. How long is this going to take? When's this going to happen? This is an angel asking this. He doesn't even know. Then I heard the man dressed in linen, who was above the water of the rivers. He raised both his hands toward heaven and swore by him who lives eternally. Gives him a very clear answer of how long it's going to take. It'll be for a time, times, and half a time. Like, okay, thank you. When the power of the holy people is shattered, all these things will be completed. I heard, but did not understand. Once again. So I asked, kind of the same question, like maybe I'll ask him, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these things? And I love his answer. 
he's kind of done with Daniel, not in a mean way, but he just says, go on your way, Daniel, for the words are secret and sealed until the time of the end. Here's what's going to happen. Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. None of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. From the time the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Happy is the one who waits for and reaches 1,335 days. But as for you, go on your way to the end. You will rest. Then you will stand to receive your allotted inheritance at the end of the days. So even as this book ends, once again, we see there's always going to be confusion. Like Daniel, there's going to be things we don't understand. Like the angels, even in some of these, there's going to be things we don't understand. There's always going to be questions that we have. There's always going to be things that we say, how long is this going to take? When's the end going to happen? When's this going to... We're always going to hear things and not really totally understand. And even just as we look at the world and see events happening, and even just in your life, there are things that you ask questions to God and say, God, why this? Why did you allow that? Why not this? Why didn't you answer that prayer? Why did you give me a parking spot, but you didn't bring healing to my friend? Why did you do this and not that? Why? We, there's tons of stuff as we live life and live through the world, and there will always be confusion. That's always going to happen. You're never going to reach a point in your life where you just go, I get it. I totally get it now. I get everything that God's doing. I get everything that's happened in my life. I totally understand what he's doing in your life. I get it. That's not going to happen. There will always be confusion. And yet, God's promises are always clear. There's always going to be confusion, but God's promises are always clear. In the middle of all the confusion, in the middle of things we don't get, in the middle of questions we have and things we don't understand and things that we wonder about, there are always some things that we can bank on. There are always some things that we can come back to and say, I don't get this, I don't understand this, but I know this. God's promises are always clear. And there's a few that we see here as the book wraps up. The first, I'll give you four R's. The first is that there's rescue. How does it end? Evil is defeated. That's how it ends. It, it ends with victory for God and for God's people. There will be rescue. Victory will happen. That is what the end is. Evil will be defeated. God will win. That's true in your life and it's true in the world. And so when things are hard and when things are difficult, I know we live so in the moment but we often need to have the future perspective to just say, this is only now. This is just right now. God will win. There will be rescue and there will be resurrection. He says to Daniel, go on your way. Those that are in the book of life, they will be resurrected. Daniel, you will experience resurrection. That's the future. Eternal life. Life with God forever. That if you are written in God's book, your life will experience resurrection life, a new body, a new world. You will experience that forever. If you're not written in God's book, it says that you will experience eternal torment and shame. 
And I know we don't like to talk about that, and I know that's scary, and I know we don't like to think about friends and family, or maybe even you're unsure about kind of your own situation. But this is what God says to warn us and to call us to himself, that there will be resurrection to eternal life or eternal damnation. And that is a beautiful future for those of us that are connected to God. That if you are a Christian, if you have given, if you have put your trust in Jesus and what he has done for you, you can know that life, the future that you have is resurrection, which means no more sadness, no more sickness, no more tears, no more suffering, no more bad days, no more grouchiness, no more pain in people's lives that we love. No more infertility, no more miscarriage, no more cancer, no more, no more AIDS, no more, no more pandemics, no more hunger, no more famine, no more pestilence, no more disease, no more any of it. And instead, a future with more joy and more love and more of God's presence and more of seeing Jesus face to face and more clarity and more truth and more happiness and more, more friendship that is uninhibited, more of everything. That's the resurrection future that we have. So he promises him resurrection and he promises him rest. I said, we never get over the hump. I lied. You do when you die. You get over it. He tells Daniel, you will rest. You will rest. And that is beautiful, though, because some of us are stressed out, and we've got our to-do lists, and there's this to do and that to do, and we're kind of constantly tired. And, and if we're not tired, our kids are tired, and then their tiredness makes us tired. And, and it's just kind of constant. And he says, there is a day, Daniel. Go on your way, and rest will come. I know some of you are too young to even really think about that, but, but rest is a beautiful thing that is your future where you don't have to worry anymore about your job and you don't have to worry anymore about managing things and you don't have to worry anymore about what's going to happen and your financial situation. You don't have to worry about family tr drama and trauma. And you it's just rest. No more striving against sin. No more striving against sinners. No more striving against suffering. No more striving against the culture. Just rest. And then the last R that he gives him is reward. And I know we don't think about that often, but he says that you will stand up and receive your allotment. And the Bible does teach that we will receive rewards, that our good works here don't save us, but God does reward us for them which means that Daniel has lived this life of faithfulness and the angel is assuring him, I know there's confusion, but let me remind you of a promise. You will receive reward, which means everything that you've done here on this earth that has been done for God, for God's people, none of it's wasted. The hard things you've done, the things where you have, that you have pushed through, that you have served, that you have been faithful, Every piece of it, none of it is wasted. God sees it. God rewards it. And I don't know what that looks like. I, you know, I don't know. You have an endless ice cream machine and one person only has a salad machine. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what it all looks like, but the Bible teaches it consistently over and over again to encourage us. I see it. And you might not get your rewards here, but I will reward you. 
That is how it ends. So since all these things are true, how do we live? Well, we stay faithful now. We stay faithful now. We, stay, we live in light of these things now. We, we lead others. We lead our kids. We lead in our church to be faithful to God now. Because even if there's confusion, God's promises of resurrection and rescue and rest and reward, those are clear. And we can bank on those. So we're done with Daniel. We are all living in exile just like they were. It might be more metaphorical for us, even if it was literal for them, but we are living in exile, faced with a call to faithfulness, faced with a call to persevere, to endure. And I know you're not dumb. You know life is going to be hard. It's going to be filled with all sorts of challenges, but we don't want that difficulty to drain us or stop us or discourage us. We want it to actually lead to refining, to perfecting, to maturing, to strengthening. How? How do we persevere? How do we persevere through a life of exile? How do we do that? How can you, how can we live this out all of our days? How can we keep going time after time? These chapters, these last few chapters, and really the whole book, but these last chapters remind us of the truth to anchor in. You're called. God's promises are clear. And God is in control. We anchor in those things. We persevere. We are called to be faithful. This whole book, the whole thing that I've said over and over again is that faithful means full of faith. If you want to be faithful for your life, we need to continually reflect on how he is faithful to us. When we take communion, what we're remembering is that. Jesus told us, he said, to do this regularly in remembrance of him so that we would keep remembering, I have a savior that's been faithful to me. I have a savior that's entered through the confusion, that's entered through the chaos, that lived the life of exile for me. I have a savior that's faithful. And Jesus said, I want you to remember that all the time. I want you to keep that in your mind all the time. I want you to have even a physical, tangible reminder. Don't just sit there and think about my faithfulness. I want you to eat something to remember my body was broken. My blood was shed. Don't you see how I was faithful to you? Don't you see how I will always be faithful to you? Don't you see how I lived through exile and I can bring you through exile? Don't you see how I tasted death so that you can experience the tastes of death this world has and yet still know who I am? And Don't you see that I was resurrected to assure you that I will bring resurrection to you? See, Jesus gave us this to remember his faithfulness so that we can stay faithful to him. So as you take communion and, and as we respond in these few songs, just spend some time and thank God for his faithfulness to you and ask God to help you to remain faithful to him, remembering you're called, remembering he's in control, remembering his promises that are clear. I'll be in the back if anyone would like prayer for anything. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace to us. I thank you that, Jesus, you bring salvation, you bring forgiveness, you bring resurrection. 
you assure us that all the promises that are given to Daniel can be true for those that are in you. And so we thank you for that. Thank you for this book that is a gift to us to remind us that you are a faithful God. Lord, help us to be a faithful church, a faithful people. I pray now as we sing and as we take communion that you would allow these truths to get implanted deeply into our heart. In your name, Jesus. Amen.